brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved, Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Exercising any options presented by our guests. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Bringing life back into balance with a more thoughtful approach to wealth management. Now, from Capstone Wealth Management, here's Chris Klein on the big 1070, 1070 AM at 100.9 FM. Welcome in. I am Mike Pilch, along with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. It's another Saturday morning. Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So you need a financial plan. They're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. 866-596-9886 is the phone number to get in contact with them. That's 866-596-9886. Or set up an email, info at careformywealth.com. That is info at careformywealth.com. Chris Klein, welcome into your own program. Good morning. How are you today? Not bad. Not bad. I think uh, the, the sky for- is not falling. <clears throat> no, the <laughs> weather forecast for the next like 10 days is in the 30s and 40s. I'll take that. Perfect. Yeah. Good well, stuff. it's not perfect, and but I'll, I'll take it. Perfect enough, I suppose. When you live in Wisconsin and all you're doing is dreaming of, of heat and humidity because that's kind of where it's at right now. It is. It really is. And we'll see where the markets are at right now. I know you're getting, well, you've heard about some concerns, and you're getting a lot of questions about some of the action in the market we've seen the last few days and how the Fed may react to that. It seems like that's maybe the most popular question you are getting from people right now. So I think that's where we're going to focus today. Well, yeah. So let's spend some time just chatting about it, because it seems that, there's more than a few people that are kind of trying to eagerly grasp at, at bearish straws. You know, in other words, they're they're seeing a few days in markets that are down. You know, and on the Dow they see a triple-digit drop and say, "Oh no, this is terrible." And obviously, on a percentage basis, that doesn't mean a whole lot when it's off 100 points or 150 mm-hmm. points or even 200 points for that matter. I mean, one percent is like 
yeah, okay, whatever. No big deal. But on the heels of what everyone had to deal with going through the fourth quarter, I get it. You know, there's always this trepidation and, and there's these fears that, oh, here we go. We're going to test that low or, or things like that. But, you know, first of all, the, the, the breadth of the market, we talk about that a fair amount. There's something called an advanced decline line. And, and, and when you're in the type of fairly bullish backdrop of a market like what we have right now, well, then, you know, that, that advanced decline line means a lot. And, and now, does that mean that there are not potential headwinds? Or does that mean that there are not things technically happening in the market that could be a problem? Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, one of the things that we look for are these, um, are these 90% upside or downside days. And basically all that simply means is and there's a whole wonderful, fun calculation to have to go through to figure it out. But essentially you're looking at a price move of the market along with a volume move of the market. And what you want to see is participation on the upside when markets are up and a lack of downside participation when markets are down. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we had talked about at the low, which was – course, again, set on December the 24th and then had a nice day on the 26th, were these 90% upside days. When you get a 90% upside day, it creates this breakaway moment. So now what we're looking at is whether or not we get a 90% downside day. Because if we did, yeah, that would be that would be a pretty big concern enough for us to say, hmm, Maybe we want to take a little bit of risk off the table. Now, you might remember about a week ago on last week's show, one of the things that I talked about was that the S&P and the NASDAQ and the Dow were all bumping up against this ceiling, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, we're talking about ceilings for a while here, really. Yeah, a little bit of this ceiling activity. You know, I mean, the, 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 the S&P has kind of got this ceiling in the 2800 range. We call that resistance, right? And it's resistance because the market resists the price of the market moving beyond it, mostly because there are lots of people over the past five months who had gotten in at roughly those levels. And so then when markets move themselves back up to that level, there's this, there's this human tendency to say, oh, thank God I'm out even, <laughs> which shouldn't be the response. But nevertheless, it, there is that response from, you know, the average investor, you know, uh, uh, groups of, of people sure. that are out there. So you get this resistance. And, and and so one of the things that I commented on was that it just wouldn't surprise me to see markets kind of hit that resistance level and just kind of trade sideways for a little bit, right? Kind of catch its breath. I mean, it's had a very nice run off the bottom. It's been a very powerful move off the bottom. We had a number of 90% upside days, and ordinarily you just don't get many of those condensed in a short span of time. And so the fact that we did gave credence that the power of this current move is probably more than what people think. The power uh, of the move, you said? Yeah, the, the powerfulness of the move, the strength of okay. the institutional buying that was going on through this entire process is just a lot stronger than what people think. You know, And, and I'll point out one of the things that we, we talked about in our most recent newsletter that was sent out about um, about a week ago. Uh, and that is that, that commercial hedgers, the guys that are the biggest of the big investors, the guys that are you know just controlling hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, are as invested in stocks today as they have been in the past 20-plus years. Ordinarily, 
when markets get a rally like what we've seen since the December low, these commercial hedgers will sell into that rally. You know, they'll, they'll unload positions and take their profit. They're not doing that this time. They're, they're getting more into equities. They're buying more. And so what that suggests, again, is a confirmation of the strength and the powerfulness of the move off the low. But everything has to, to catch its breath, right? Markets, we often talk to them and call them these living, breathing animals. And I guess to some degree it is because it's just a confluence of people when it's all said and done. And sometimes markets move both to the upside and to the downside, and they need to catch their breath. And when you're in the midst of a cyclical bull market like what we believe we're currently in, markets catch their breath by moving sideways. And so it's kind of what we've been getting over the past you know, roughly two weeks now is just this kind of a sideways chop. But when you get that sideways chop, after you've had the kind of run that we've had, people just instinctively get nervous and start to look for reasons to be bearish mm-hmm. right and i think that that that's the wrong thing that's the wrong perspective to have right now at least so far hey i you got know, a we question have, well go ahead and finish that thought well i was just going to say we haven't had these 90 percent downside days that would be of a big concern that's number one number two the fed has been saying some things lately that if anyone's an investor in risk-based assets should be making note of because what they're telling you is that you're crazy to not have investments. That's essentially what it is. Now, granted, I don't like it because what are they doing? They're just screwing the saver. The person who's trying to save money in a savings account or a money market account or get some degree of interest, the Fed is not willing to support you. <laughs> they are not willing to create an interest rate environment where there's meaningful interest to be paid through those vehicles. Now, I know that makes a lot of people unhappy. I really do. But it's true. I mean, there have been guys who, in the past couple of weeks, for example, recently uh, uh, there's a uh, the, the Fed, the San Francisco Fed president, a guy by the name of John Williams, said very recently that in a downturn we could consider quantitative easing slash negative rates. Well, what's that tell you? It tells you that the Fed has what we call a put – on the market. And what's a put on the market? It means that they're not willing to see it drop below a certain level. We talked about that when Greenspan was in. There was something called the Greenspan put, and then Bernanke took over, and it was the Bernanke put. And then Yellen took over, and it was the Yellen put. And then Powell took over, and we said, holy cow, he's going to let the market just do what it's supposed to do. To some degree, we applauded that because it helps wringle out the excesses that exist in markets. And that needs to happen, Mm -hmm. right? Investors who are not active hate it because they get they get killed, but those of us who are active managers like to see excesses get wrung out of the market. It's a very important process, the, the creative destructive process that goes on. And But lo and behold, what did he do? He came in and he basically ran to the market's rescue by immediately changing their tone from two more interest rate hikes and $50 billion a month rolling off their balance sheet to no more hikes, and we're not going to do that bond thing either. So what's that saying? That's saying that they're putting a cap on yields, and that's saying that we are going to support risk-based assets by whatever form necessary that we call quantitative easing. They're addicted to stimulus, Mike. 
They are absolutely addicted to stimulus. They're absolutely addicted to debt. And if you don't have a correct portfolio structure or if you don't have rules-based methodology in place that can help you understand when the turbulence is becoming downside turbulence that's going to last for longer than just a you know, 15 or 20% run. I mean, let's face it, 15, 20% moves in the market happen all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not that big a deal. It's the 50% moves that people need to be worried about. And when you have an organization like the Fed and other central banks across the globe that are as addicted to stimulus and as addicted to debt as what they are, that's not good. That does not allow the market to function the way that it's supposed to, which is another reason why we've added all these algorithms and all this artificial intelligence and all this stuff to help us read these machines so that we can stay on top of it more quickly than what just the average average person who's looking at the market, the average investor is going to have an opportunity to see. Yeah, it's your job to keep in touch with that and let people know what's going on when it's going on. That's what you do. That's what our attempt is. You know, and again, sometimes it's a little bit clouded. Sometimes it's a little bit vague. But the things that have been said recently by people in the Fed is anything but vague. I mean, these are not subtle hints. These are, these are very overt explanations to investors at large that, hey, we not only will support risk-based assets, but we'll go so far as negative rates if we think we have to in terms of supporting stimulus. So it's easy to miss that stuff. I mean, come on, let's face it. Who wants to sit around and listen to the Fed speak? And when you do, it's really hard to understand what they're saying because it's it's as if they're speaking Swahili sometimes. It, it's, it is. I mean, unless you're, unless you're the care for my wealth guy, Chris Klein, you're not going to understand a lot of it. it. A lot of it's just going to be like, all right, just give me a quick recap. I can't pay attention to all this. Well, that's true. And the, one, the issue that's got me the most concerned as it relates to the average investor is that the average investor might be tuning into this program right now and hearing the conversation as it relates to Fed governors talking about quantitative easing and negative rates and the impact here and thinking. Hey, by the way, tell us what quantitative easing is again. I think most people know, but you might want to say what that is again. It's just simply the Federal Reserve using their assets, their balance sheet to buy bonds off of member banks' balance sheets and provide them cash that they then can use to either put back to the Fed on reserve and get interest paid to them. Great big circular motion here or the member banks can use to put into the economy for loans and other stimulus that would help to move the economy in a positive direction, right? So it's a form of economic stimulus by using the monetary tools that the Fed has at at its disposal, right? I have heard that phrase more in the last week or two than I have in years. Well, and it may be because the, the Fed has been a little bit louder about the things that they... That, that, that quantitative easing does. I mean, you know, I was making a comment you know, a couple of moments ago, and I just I want to finish that thought. You know, if a person's tuning into the program right now for the very first time and saying, that sounds really complicated. I don't know that I can listen anymore, right? I'd implore you to hold on. And the reason is, is that the average investor over the past roughly 10 years has just said, who cares? Ah, throw it in the market. It's fine. It's going to be all right. And they go through ups and downs. And you know what? It's been right. 
buying the dip has been the right answer and staying invested for the most part has been the right answer. There's going to come a time like there was in 2000 and like there was in 2008 where staying invested is not the right answer. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, the time that is usually directly connected with the time that you shouldn't stay invested is right when the Fed decides to change course from a quantitative tightening or a rate increasing environment to a rate decreasing environment. And so the fact that the San Francisco Fed governor, the, the Fed president rather, John Williams, came out and said, yeah, we'd consider quantitative easing in a downturn, we'd consider negative rates in a downturn, that tells us that there's conversations going on inside the, the inner sanctum of that Fed that they're contemplating that. They're contemplating that, hey, if growth slows too much, if inflation appears that it's under control, but we're really starting to slow down the, the economic growth that, that we were expecting, it, we're just going to turn tail. And, and, and the stock market investor has to pay attention to that because the average person would say, hey, hallelujah, the Fed cut rates. That's awesome. And I'll guarantee you markets will rally when that happens. Yeah. But it's going to end up more likely than not being a false rally because I can go back and show you every single instance in which the Fed had been in a rate tightening campaign for a number of months, stopped, and then eventually turned around and cut rates. That was the moment that you should be exceedingly cautious and starting to use that extra volume and that extra activity in the market to start to work your way out of it. Most people don't see that. They don't understand the functioning of how the Fed works and what its impact has historically been on markets. And so my whole attempt is just to try and educate people as best as I can because there's going to come a time. Mm -hmm. The fact that the Fed's addicted to stimulus, they're addicted to debt, the fact that our entire economy is addicted to debt, the fact that there's $22 trillion in overall debt that's out there, there's going to come a point somewhere, someday, I don't know when, where the market's just not going to believe it anymore. They're going to say, we can't pay the bills. We're hmm. done. We have to turn this around. And so what we have to do is be vigilant, and that's why we're active. We're, we're not passive investors. We believe that being a passive investor in this environment is potentially problematic. You've got to be willing to make some adjustments when the adjustments are on the writing on the wall. All right. He is Chris Klein. He's with Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service to get in contact with them via phone. 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Or email them info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. More questions about the action that we're seeing in the market the last few days and how the Fed may react on the other side. This is Muddy Talks with... Welcome in with Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. This is Buddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So if you need a financial plan, they're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. Get in contact with them, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Or you can set up an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. Chris has been getting a lot of concerns and questions regarding the action of the markets and from the Fed here over the last few days and how the Fed's going to react to everything. I got a question. You've somewhat touched on it, but I don't think you've answered it directly there, Mr. Care for My Wealth guy. So Chris Klein, quantitative easing. I, I mentioned that I've heard that a lot lately, but 
Uh, is this the highest amount of positive sentiment you have seen since 2008 right now? The highest amount? No. No. no? There's, there's been instances of, of higher numbers, to be sure. Seems like it's um, more consistently high right now than it's been in a while, though. Well, there's certainly um, optimism as it relates to the average consumer. Um, you know, let's face it, the job market's doing great. Uh, people's incomes are rising for the most part. Uh, we're seeing segments of the uh, of the economy, segments of the population, whose historically high unemployment rates have dramatically come down. You know, unemployment rates for for Hispanics and African American and, and women and, and things of that nature, people of that nature rather. So, you know, the, the point is is that there's a lot of very positive things happening in the market, and so therefore that creates this positive degree of sentiment, right? When you get too much positive sentiment, that doesn't mean that everything just falls out of bed. It just means that we often have these times of volatility, right? We, we often have these moments of, of scare. Sure. <laughs> where, where, where people kind of come back into reality again saying, hey, you know, buy Mortimer buy turns into, right. oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> so, you know, that's why, you know, we can't necessarily pay attention to all these gyrations and you know, the news is always the news. It's always out there. But one thing that I know to be true is that news follows price. So you get price movements in markets, and then somewhere, somehow, news comes up that ends up supporting what that movement had to, had to deal with and, and had to show us. What we're seeing right now is, is nothing that has been confirmed that would cause us to say, yeah, there's something different happening here than a cyclical bull. Because right now, that's what it is. It's mm. a cyclical bull. It's a buy-in-the-dip opportunity still. Uh, we're in an environment where the Fed has not turned course, and that's important. You know, In theory, central bankers are supposed to worry about inflation, right? I mean, most of us that spend any time doing any shopping, which I don't do a lot of. No, but, leave that to your wife. <laughs> my lovely wife does. I don't think you know how to shop, actually. I just, I'm not good at it. I don't enjoy it, you know. She says, hey, I, I, uh, these apples were X. And I said, All right. is that good or bad? <laughs> I don't know. Is, is it a dollar too much, a dollar too little? And she looks at me and laughs. And, and it's great because I'm thankful that she does that. But point being is that the Fed is supposed to worry about inflation. And they're supposed to be about, worry about inflation that, that directly impacts the consumer. So inflation on food and inflation on energy. Uh, inflation on wages, you know, which makes people happy when you have inflation on wages, right? Uh, so, yes. <laughs> well, you, you're, wages on inflation is awesome until you're a publicly traded company, and that makes up a large portion of your of your expense profile, right? And, and when that makes up a large portion of your expense profile, then obviously that can potentially negatively impact your earnings profile, which, of course, can affect your stock. So... The Fed is supposed to be worried about inflation in general. And and the Fed and its peers in other countries, of course, like Bank of Japan and the uh, Chinese Central Bank, People's Bank of China, stuff like that, uh, the European Central Bank, they, they exist partly because their governments are tired of dealing with out-of-control inflation, right? Not, not that they're against inflation completely. They just want it to happen on their terms. And so they're constantly attempting to control something that's very difficult to control. Mm -hmm. The Fed has said a hundred times, if they've said it once, that to them, 
acceptable inflation is 2%. And they measure it by this thing called the, the, the PCE, which is a, a price deflator. It's all sorts of complicated stuff in there. But it, you can, it's, not, it's not the better-known CPI that we hear all the time. So the CPI runs at a certain rate, and the Fed doesn't pay as much attention to that as they do for this PCE thing, right? It's a little bit more on the producer side than it is on the consumer side. Well, it ran below the 2% level for essentially most all of this growth cycle, and really just right now is catching up. Mm -hmm. So you would think the Fed would be happy, but they're not. One of the Fed... Uh, governors, in fact, he's a newly installed Federal Reserve vice chair, a guy by the name of Richard Clarita. Um, he told uh, some folks at a monetary policy conference um, the last couple of weeks, it, it happened to be at the University of Chicago, that um, the, fight, the Fed might end up giving itself what, what he called a little bit of a do-over. And what he meant by that was that, you know, without changing the 2% target, what they would do is consider allowing a period of above 2% inflation to compensate for all these years that, have, that are now behind us yeah. where we were so below target. Now, somebody hearing this for the first time might say, huh. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. I've never heard that before. Man, we, we might really have some interesting inflation on our heels. Well, we have heard this before. I mean, Fed officials talk sometimes about letting the economy run hot, right? And again, because it's run very lukewarm for a very long time, essentially since the market bottom of 2008 up until, you know, really the last couple of years, it was very lukewarm. It ran under uh, under target mm -hmm. the entire time. And um, at any rate, so they've talked about letting the economy run hot, but they haven't done so because the economy hasn't wanted to run hot, right? It's not been an option for them in the past until fairly recently. So the question becomes, well, what would be hot as it relates to Fed speak? And, Mike, I'm here to tell you that's pretty unclear. I was going to say, even I was going to say, I don't know how you would know that, yeah. Unless someone has, and the Fed has not said, you know, they we monitor enough of this to know what they're saying and when they're saying it. Some suggest maybe it's 4% real GDP growth, right? Um I mean, if that's what they now consider unusually strong, I don't know, Mike. I think we've got bigger problems. I, I mean, if 4% is unusually strong, what's that say about us? <laughs> yeah, good point. It doesn't say a lot, in my opinion. But 2018 appears to have been the best year since 2005 where we had roughly 3% GDP growth, right? In any case, this is a fairly dangerous game. And the reason it's a fairly dangerous game is because the Fed has very little control over how inflation as a whole would be distributed. I mean, if it shows up mostly in asset prices, what's it going to do? It, you know, it's going to reward those who are viewed as either wealthy or, or upper middle class, people who have investments to some degree, people who own homes. It's going to punish the lower, what, 70, 80 percent? 
and and those are going to end up facing higher costs for housing. They're going to end up facing higher costs for health care and lots of other essentials that people have to have on a day-by-day basis. So what is it? It's a political problem. <laughs> it's absolutely a political problem. And, you know, a couple weeks ago um, when Powell went to Capitol Hill for his semi-annual congressional testimony, I mean, he specifically noted that the Fed is watching the markets. His comment was, and I'm going to read it exactly, quote, financial markets became more volatile toward year end and financial conditions are now less supportive of growth than they were earlier in the year. Hmm. And I I say that only because he went on to say that the Fed remains data dependent and they're going to, you know, pay attention to all the information that's coming in and that they could adjust their balance sheet on, you know, different financial and economic developments and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Well, all right, that's fine. So what does that mean? What that means is the Fed is S&P 500 dependent. That's what it means. There's the put that I was talking about in the previous segment. There's the, there's the Fed speak saying, hey, guys, guess what? We have a third mandate. And remember, they've got two mandates, and that's full employment and stable prices. That's what the Fed is supposed to have as their mandate, just two. But forever now. They have had a third. And if anyone wants to question, even for a moment, that the Federal Reserve has a third mandate specifically focused on the S&P 500 or the market at large, they're not listening. You know, Jay Powell is implicitly saying to Congress in his most recent testimony that the, the fourth quarter direction of the stock market is the number one reason why they became more flexible with interest rates and with its balance sheet. Weakness in China and Europe and all that stuff that is supposedly being the number one reason why the Fed acted is number two. Hmm. So, therefore, keeping asset prices, risk-based assets, elevated is officially, without a shred of a doubt, the third mandate of the Federal Reserve. And that's exactly 180 degrees opposite of what Chairman Powell said when he was on board, coming in, and we were in October and November in the midst of volatility. It's 180 degrees different, right? Did the economic data change significantly? I can tell you, no, it hasn't. If anything, it's gotten a little bit better. So what, what happened? I, I don't know. You know, is, is Chairman Powell worried all of a sudden about a recession on his watch? I mean, I can tell you this. The guy's incredibly brilliant. If you read any of the stuff that he writes, you step back and go, that dude is way above my pay grade. Yeah, it's like it's like when you criticize an NFL head coach that they don't know what they're doing. It's like their whole career's been in football. They know what they're doing. Exactly. And so therefore, I know this guy knows what he's doing, as have all the other predecessors. All I'm saying is that it has now become explicit, as it has been explicit in previous Fed governorships, that they still have that third mandate. And I think that that's important to recognize because there were a number of people coming into this year with the with with, with certainly Mr. Powell in place saying he's different. Mm-hmm. He's an outsider. He's not going to be the same kind of Fed governor as everybody else, and he's probably going to let the market do its thing. That was our expectation. We positioned for it. And yet we have exactly what's been going on over the past 10-plus years, and that is a supportive Fed of asset sheets, asset uh, asset in, in general, risk-based assets, and in fact that data-dependent means 
that it's stock market dependent. And so you can fight it if you want. You know, and I know there are a number of people out there who are like, oh, look, the debt's too high and that's going to kill us. And I get it. I don't disagree. But the question becomes when. And, mm-hmm. oh, man, our deficit is too high and it's going to kill us. I, I get that, too. And that's a problem. But when? And, oh, China's continuing to steal our stuff and we still don't have a deal and tariffs here. and but I get all that. But let's not forget that the people who ultimately are the final arbiters of real bull and real bear markets is the central banks. Yeah, real quick, it's funny how you mentioned Chairman Powell's looking at the S&P, yet we talk so frequently about how important it is to really look at where the NASDAQ's at because that's where the the technology and energy sector is. So it's just kind of funny. Yeah, well, when I say the S&P 500 because I just use that as a proxy for the market in general. You know, and, and obviously when we're looking at where strength is developing, we want to see technology and, and uh, shares of that ilk do well. And for the most part, it has. They have continued to hold up. Um, the tech-only segmentation of the NASDAQ 100 is on a much better pace than the NASDAQ itself. Uh, it has continued to move in, in, we believe, a very strong and positive direction. And there's a number of names and a number of companies that, have continued to make up the the strengths of the new age, you know, place like Amazon, Google, Facebook, all that, who are doing fine. Yeah. In the last couple of days where markets were down, we've seen companies like Facebook and Google and, and Amazon actually buck the trend and go up. You know, so so the point being is is that what an investor has to recognize is that with all the conversation and all the talk and the expectation that volatility hopefully will settle down I don't think it will. I think volatility is here to stay, and I don't know what it's going to take to make it go away. And so, therefore, what we have to do is make sure we're paying attention to price movement and volume movement. Look for these 90% days, both up and down, and be prepared to make adjustments as needed. We're constantly making adjustments based on what's happening with price and what's happening with volume. Because it's not the news that we get all worried about. What I want to see is how does this stuff react to the news? Is it reacting positively or negatively? Has there been a move with no news? And if there has, chances are the news is going to come out, either good or bad, depending upon what's happening with price. So we have to remember, news follows price, right? And as long as we keep that in the forefront of our minds, we'll be able to be better investors. And, and at the end of the day, that's, that's one of the things that we want to hope to do for everyone and help you become a better investor by recognize the playing field you're on. Mm-hmm. If we're in the midst of a bear market, you don't want to be actively trying to play the market as a bull. You're going to get killed. If you're in the midst of an active bull market, you don't want to be scared to death sitting on the sideline saying, I don't want to be an investor because the deficit's high, the debt's high, China's stealing our stuff, you know, da 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 right? None of that doesn't matter yet matters, but none of it is in first place yeah. as far as what matters. All right. Well, that's the biggest thing to remember. We'll get into more of what's been going on and how the Fed's going to react to all this on the other side. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. This is Capstone Wealth Management, 866-596-9886, the number to get in contact with them. That's 866-596-9886. Or you can send him an email as well. Info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. 
Capstone.com. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. This is Muddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. To get in contact with them, it's 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Or you can send them an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. Who are they? Well, Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So if you need a financial plan, they're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. I am close to getting my one big credit card paid off chris so at that point i can hey, go back and live a a normal life kind of <laughs> good good for you you know it's uh it's a wonderful thing when people can become debt-free i i wish uh i wish governments across the globe would become more debt-free honestly it'd be a better world for everybody to be sure speaking of governments across the world um markets didn't seem to move a needle at all depending on the trump north korea talks and i guess until something actually happens there nothing probably will move the needle in that regard right yeah i don't think so i mean at the end of the day i think that uh we're farther along in a positive uh way than than a negative way as it relates to any of the conversations or meeting that's to take place. I mean, you know, people watch Mr. Trump and say to themselves, oh, you know, that was a failure. He didn't win. And I don't know, if you read anything that he's put out there, it's just a, it's a negotiating strategy. It's a negotiating technique. It's like the most powerful thing you can do when you're negotiating a vehicle is be willing to walk away, right? And he does that. He does that. And that's okay. You know, now some people say, oh, it's a little more important than a vehicle. is, you know, Nuclear war. Well, I don't think that anybody in North Korea is for a moment uh, disillusioned by the potential power behind the United States of America and more specifically the things that President Trump is saying. Well, we're talking about smart people like uh, Fed Reserve Chair Powell is, is a smart guy and NFL coaches are smart guys. I would think they're smart over there. Kim Jong-un is, I would think. They're not stupid. You know, they, they're, There's no disillusionment behind two things. One, the power of the United States, and two, President Trump's willingness to use it. And I don't know, at the end of the day, if you're dealing with a bully, that bully has to recognize that you're willing to fight. Yeah, and that willing, usually makes a bully go away. Punch, you yeah. know? They're not going to come out of their shoes on this stuff, and so that's certainly one of the reasons I think why markets looked at it and said, eh, yawn, you know, whatever. And it just, I think what we're dealing with right now is just a little bit of rotation in the current market. We're dealing with a market that's recognizing the Fed has its back you know, to, to some degree, at least currently, and that's not going to change until we see something monumental occur, like, for example, a 90% downside day without a fairly quick 90% upside day right on the heels. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen some rotation from uh, some really large names into mid-cap-oriented type names. Um, okay. Many of our algorithms that identify where momentum is, is starting to really show its, uh, its interest are pointing towards the mid-cap market more so than, than anything else. Um, it's pointing towards technology. Interestingly enough, there's some, some algorithms that we use that are pointing a little bit towards the industrial stuff, too. So, so point being is that we're still, as of right now, we believe in the midst of a cyclical bull market. We believe that the sideways chop that we're getting right now 
is a positive development, right? I mean, there's been more than a little bit of bad news over the last two weeks, right? <laughs> Yet markets have really not dropped out of bed by any stretch of no. the imagination. Yeah, sure, they're they're down a little bit. We've had a stretch over the past two weeks where we've had more down days in a row than what we've had since the bottom. But again, as I commented in the first segment, that's that's just the market catching its breath. You know, that that's that's just this sideways chop where we're developing a little bit of a basing type of a moment. And and that's that's a good development. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the midst right now of trying to figure out how your portfolio should be constructed, number one, if you've never done a risk analysis to figure out one, how do you view risk, you absolutely have to do that. And and it's free of charge on our website. You can go to careformywealth.com. Right in the middle of the home page, you'll come up against a big button that says, does my portfolio fit me? Take five minutes and come to some conclusion on how you view risk. There's no bigger problem than when someone is invested, but yet at the same time, they're viewing risk inconsistent with the way they invest. And I run into it all the time, Mike, and all the time. I run into it where people are invested in a way that is is so inconsistent with their risk in that they're way riskier than the way they're invested and the opposite. <laughs> they're invested way riskier than they, they should be. You got to come to some conclusion on what fits for you. People think of investing and say, man, I just got to make the most money as possible. Well, yeah, that's great. And certainly investing in the financial markets should come with a, a degree of financial return on your money over a prudent period of time. But at the end of the day, risk matters, how much volatility you can deal with. Because if you're invested in a manner with a volatile scenario that scares you out at exactly the wrong time, then you didn't serve yourself. I remember, I'll I'll never forget, I took that risk assessment test on your website. And you're like, dude, you've got issues. We got to talk. You're too conservative and risk averse for somebody your age. And I kind of mentioned it to my dad and he's like, dude, this is the time you should be going crazy with it. Not being that conservative. And I'm like, well, I'm not used to this stuff. And you call me, it's like, dude, you got issues. I'm like, well, I know that, but you're like, no, I mean like financially you've got issues here, but it's hard when you're starting out to kind of wrap your head around that when you're not used to it. It's like, I want my money. I want to keep it near me, but you're like, you can't do that. You got to let yourself go. Well, you're right, and you know what? The the people who it's very, very hard for and, and probably the most damaging for are those people who are just within a fairly close period of time to retirement, you know? There's this, there's in many cases this belief that when you retire, you have to completely redo what you're doing with your investing. Now, sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's not true, right? Just because you've retired doesn't mean you, you, you shouldn't be an investor anymore. Right, right. And just because you've retired doesn't mean there shouldn't be a degree of risk in your portfolio. I mean, I, I get all that, but there are so many instances when I run into folks where they're viewing risk in a manner that's inconsistent with their goals and objectives, and it's inconsistent with their overall portfolio and, and a number of other things. So the quickest, easiest way to identify whether or not you're in line is just go through it. Figure it out. And we have a tool that is super easy to use. It'll take you about five minutes to go through, which sounds elementary. You think, man, how can a five-minute tool tell me how I'm supposed to use risk or how I view risk? It's a complicated thing that is built 
behind this whole tool, all I'm telling you is that it works. <laughs> and when you have it in place, then you can figure out how to construct a portfolio to deliver the goals that you're putting down, right? All right. And, some, and sometimes, like in your situation, right, you find, oh, good grief. I got to take way more risk for me to hit my goals. And for my age, I can. Yeah. You know, so it was a win-win kind of scenario there. And some people look at it and say, man, I can't take that risk because of my age or, or because of my objectives or whatever it might be. A good time to make sure you understand what it is. Yeah, I just understand how that mental block gets in there for some people not wanting to do it because I kind of went sure. through that and I get it. Real quick question. we got to take a break here, but real quick question. Just a random thought that popped up might be a dumb question, but there are no dumb questions, just dumb people. Remember that. Um, <laughs> Mr. Care for My Wealth Guy, Chris Klein, when people, you talk about you don't stop investing once you're in retirement. Do you know a lot of people that maybe start investing for their grandkids or something at that point so that when they're gone, there's a little pot of money for them for college or whatever? Oh, sure. Like they cha- That's um, how you would change often, your, your strategy yeah. in a way. No, it doesn't necessarily change your strategy. I mean, there's a couple of different ways to view it. One, we can help them with their estate planning in a manner that the assets are combined and growing in a fashion that if something should happen to them, the trust will then hold these assets for the benefit of the grandkid or a portion of the assets Mm -hmm. for the benefit of the grandkids and then can be doled out for their education or a first-time home purchase or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. In other cases, we've seen grandparents with grandkids where the grandkids have some employment income and they make a gift to them in the form of a Roth IRA, right? So the kids out there and works and say they make 5,000 bucks for the year. Well, the kid wants to use that money for maybe school or, or, you know, help pay their gas money for their car, whatever it might be. And the grandparent says, hey, you made five grand. You have the legal ability to put 5000 away into a Roth IRA. I'm going to do that for you. Mm-hmm. The IRS doesn't care where the money comes from as long as they've had employment income that will cover the amount of Roth contribution. So in that instance, the money's there for that grandchild and it's being invested for the benefit of way out in the future. And they can be really aggressive with that. Right? Yeah. yeah. And we've talked before about retirement planning and Roth IRAs and how you can do that for the future. And maybe we'll revisit that at, at uh, some point. Just something I thought of. We're going to be back on the other side. Chris will have some parting thoughts. Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service, 866-596-9886 or info at careformywealth.com. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management with Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch, Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So if you need a financial plan, they're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. 866-596-9886 is the phone number. That's 866-596-9886 or info at careformywealth.com. Chris Klein, some final thoughts today. Final thoughts. I still believe that we're in the midst of a cyclical bull market. Um, You know, you might have some of these 90% downside days that come around in this market right now, but they oftentimes in the midst of a cyclical bull can be um, short-term bullish. Mm-hmm. especially when they're followed very quickly by one of these 90% upside days. So you got to look at momentum. You look at advancers versus decliners and how much they moved with the volume that they had and all that. 
it's not an easy calculation to deal with. We've got tools that just instantly tell us, hey, this is a 90% day here or there. We try to report it as, as best as we can when we're writing newsletters and things of that nature, but predominantly that stuff we keep inside for the benefit of our clients so that they can recognize what's going on. What I would say is that the Fed has been very clear over the last two weeks as to how they are viewing this market, mm-hmm. specifically their action and reaction to any economic developments that come about. And so since they've stopped raising rates, what that tells us is the next time that they're going to make a move is more likely than not a rate cut. Okay. It's the rate cut after a rate increasing campaign that is potentially problematic. And so we really got to keep our eyes peeled for that. <clears throat> if we get a rate cut, I'll tell you right now, the market's probably going to rally. <laughs> it's probably going to look like a really strong day. And certainly this time could be different. We could get a historical moment where the rally was for real and just ushers in a new upside leg that happens for a long time. But historically speaking, when we get a rate cut from the Fed after a rate rising campaign, mm-hmm. uh, a campaign where they've raised rates, it's just not great. So we got to keep our eyes peeled. Yeah, but indeed. So far, so good. I, I would stay bullish as, as we stand right now. And quickly, yeah, I would agree. How, and quickly, how do people get a hold of you? 866 596 9886. 866 596 9886 or info at careformywealth.com. All right. And you send out your newsletters uh, when you feel needed as well. And you can find these shows archived on your website. Hey, Chris, you have a good and safe weekend. We'll talk to you in a week. This has been Buddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.